Pastor Javen will conclude our series looking at the implications of the resurrection for those who choose to follow Christ. Today we'll see how Jesus' resurrection paved the way for our resurrection. So take a moment now, prepare your heart for today's service. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and our faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he is the first of the great harvest of all who have died. Amen. Thank you, Leah. Church, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for these words from Paul to the early church, to the church of Corinth still to us today that reminds us of the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, everything in our faith is pointless. But we know that everything in our faith is not pointless because there was a resurrection. And because of the resurrection of Christ, Father, we one day have a resurrection to be in the presence of you. And we look forward to that day. God, I pray that you take this word and that you use it today to impact us, to empower us. And we thank you for what you're going to do through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've probably seen this lady that we're going to put up on the screen before. Uh, She's a lady in comics. She's not a real lady. She's a comic strip person. So... Uh, y'all recognize this person right here? Y'all seen her comics before? Oh, Maxine. Maxine is a, she's a funny lady. Um, there was one that I saw at one point and Maxine wanted to share, share this with us. She said, uh, the only exercises I do are ones in futility. <laughs> uh, gotta love Maxine. Maybe you're like her. That's the only exercise you'll catch me doing is one in futility. Have you ever wondered why we do pointless things in life? You ever thought about that? Why you do such pointless things? Think about it for a second. When you go to the elevator and you got the up and down button, how often do you sit there and still keep pressing the up and down button? Thinking that's going to make the elevator elevator come quickly, right? That's it's not. All right, that's pointless. We do it. same at the crosswalk. When you go to the crosswalk and you're sitting there pressing that button. Right? You just sit there, keep pressing over and over and over and over and over and over. Right? That's the impatient ones of us. We're, we're constantly doing it because that's going to make the light change quicker. Not in Camden, it's not. All right, so um, it's pointless. It's futile. Futile. How many of you, when you open the kitchen drawer and you pull out tongs, you get ready to use tongs and you get those tongs, what, what, what do you do with the tongs? You start clicking them. Just start walking around the kitchen, clicking tongs. Why? Why do you do that? You're not, are you tonging air? I mean, what are we doing? It's pointless, right? It's pointless. So, so many things that we do. There's so many things that we do in life that are just pointless. They're exercises in futility, right? Over these last several weeks, we've been looking at implications that come with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For those of us who follow Christ, and we, we, there, there are several great things that we have looked at when it comes to what we gain from following Christ and through his death and through his resurrection. And this scripture that Leah read for us this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20, Paul is 
reminding his listeners, he's reminding us that without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything about our faith is an exercise in futility. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything is pointless. But Paul goes on in that letter and reminds us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, every implication that comes with it is real. Everything that we've been talking about in the last several weeks, the fact from Easter Sunday when we talked about how we life, we have life now. It's not something we have to wait for. We have life in Christ now. We have the power over sin in our life now. Through his death, we were released from the penalty of sin. Through his resurrection, we were released from the power of sin. Because of the resurrection we talked about last week, that resurrection of Jesus set into motion the mission of the church. The call to not just tell people to come discover Jesus, or or to not just come and discover Jesus, but the call and go and tell others to come and discover Jesus. And Paul is saying all that is happened, all that happens, all that is capable of being done because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he gives us one more implication that we're going to look at today. And that is the implication that because of Jesus's resurrection, we will one day have our own resurrection. To do just what we sang about this morning, to be in the presence of God. See, Paul's addressing this misunderstanding that apparently is happening through the Corinthian church that there is no resurrection of bodies. And so Paul begins to address this and he basically begins to lay out an argument. And he does it from the foundation, using the foundation of Jesus's resurrection. And he, and he uses Jesus's resurrection to point out that it is real. And it's the foundation of everything else in our faith. N.T. Wright, I mentioned him a few weeks ago. He's an Oxford scholar. If you read the version daily uh, verses and do the videos and things like that, every now and then he pops up on your videos. He made this comment, very simple statement, but it's so true. He said, if we only had an empty tomb, but no eyewitnesses, Critics would have concluded that the body was stolen, which if you remember last week, this is what the priest told in the end of Matthew, Matthew's last chapter. This is what the priest told the Roman soldiers to do. Go tell everybody that the disciples stole the body. Then he, then N.T. Wright says, if there were only eyewitnesses, but no empty tomb, they would have concluded that the witnesses were deluded or hallucinating. And that's been an argument that people have used before as well. But then he goes on and he makes this statement. He says, the two together make for pretty convincing evidence. An empty tomb and eyewitnesses. <laughs> and this is what Paul begins to argue in his in this letter to the church of Corinth. It's, he wants them to understand, he wants them to realize this is not a legend. This is not a myth that has grown into a legend. When Paul wrote the, the church, this letter to the church of Corinth is believed to be written between 53 and 55 AD, which was about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. It was written to a group of people that Paul had spent time with on his second missionary journey, which would have been even sooner than that. He would have been in their presence preaching and teaching about the resurrection of Jesus. There's a Jewish scholar by the name of Giza Verms, who, and I don't know if, if I'm mispronouncing or pronouncing his word correctly. I, I don't know, but you get the idea. Uh, he probably won't hear this, but anyway, uh, he makes this statement. He says that the verses within this section of Corinthians, there's a creedal formula in this, in these verses. The creedal formula is basically a formula that they would have memorized in that time, professing their beliefs, their creed statements, their beliefs. And the, the formula within the passage is Christ died, was buried, was raised and appeared to his disciples. 
There's even a scholar by the, uh, who's noted for his anti-resurrection arguments. He, he, he has the name Gerd Ludman. He concedes that the tradition of that formula dates to, uh, about a resurrected body dates to two years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is all that important? Because the myth about a resurrected body is hard to grow into a legend within two years. Because it's pretty easy to go to a tomb and find out, is this real or is this false? It's pretty easy for the people who are around that time that if there was a stolen body, to reveal the stolen body. Or, or if there was something else that happened, to, to bring forth evidence that shows what's being said about a resurrected Jesus is not true. And Paul says, look, it's true. He goes on and he says, Peter and the 11 disciples, if you keep reading in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Peter and the 11 disciples, Jesus appeared to all of these guys after he was resurrected. He came back to them. He spent time with them. He talked to them. He entered the room where they were hiding. He had breakfast with them on the shore in Galilee. He, he spent time with these guys. Why would they be running around spreading a lie, Paul's saying? They get no monetary or political gain in their life by running around spreading, a, if it's a lie, spreading a lie. In fact, the opposite was true, what they were getting. They were getting persecuted. They were getting put in prison. They were facing poverty. They were facing death. Why continue to put themselves through that and face those things over a lie, Paul is saying. He says, look, if you don't believe Peter and you don't believe the other 11 disciples and the other people that were with Jesus, how about talk to one of the other 500 that Jesus showed up to? Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says there were 500 eyewitnesses of a resurrected Jesus. What's the importance of that? It's kind of hard. You don't often find 500 people hallucinating at the same time. It's kind of hard to say that 500 people would be guilty of hallucination. He says, if you don't believe Peter and the uh, other disciples, if you don't believe any of the other 500 that have seen Jesus' resurrection, how about talk to James, the brother of Jesus? Well, why throw James in there? (laughs) Why bring up James? Well, because Paul wants them to remember that James and the other half-brothers of Jesus, they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. You look at John chapter 7, you see John put this phrase in there. He says that Jesus' brothers did not believe who he said he was. They thought he was crazy. And so Paul is saying, if you don't believe any of these other people, go talk to Jesus' half-brother, James. Find out what he says. Because he went believing, went from not believing that Jesus was the Son of God worthy to be worshipped to believing that Jesus was the Son of God worthy to be worshipped. How many of you in here got a sibling? How many of you got a sibling? Are you, or someone that's really close to you, like a sibling, a cousin, a brother from another mother, something like that? You know, you got somebody. What would it take to convince you that that person was the Son of God worthy to be worshipped as God? Probably if they predicted their death and resurrection and pulled it off. That's worth saying, they're the son of God, worthy to be worshipped. And Paul is saying, go talk to James, because he didn't think it was real. And now he believes. He thought his brother was crazy. Now he worships him. Jesus is resurrected. And then Paul reminds him, he says, look, if that's not good enough, I'm standing right here in front of you. He said, I, I used to persecute the ones who believed. I used to chase them down. It was my mission to find them, to imprison them, to kill them. Because of the proclamation they were making of a resurrected Jesus, he says, until, until Paul himself saw 
a resurrected Jesus. And as soon as Paul saw a resurrected Jesus, his life changed. It became real to him. And Paul, and through, through that moment, through all of his court appearances, through all of his professions of faith, and through, through all of the persecutions that, that Paul faced, what he does in those moments is he demonstrates that faith is not about preference. Jesus was not Paul's preference. It wasn't his original preference. Paul did not want the resurrection of Jesus to be true and to be real. He didn't believe it to be true. He didn't believe it to be real. He was trying to stop the spreading of that word. It was not his preference. But when he met a resurrected Jesus, his preference changed. His life changed. Everything about him changed. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, look, guys, if you want to embrace the idea that there is no resurrection, then what you're embracing is a philosophy. He says, but I'm going to embrace truth. It's more than an idea. It's reality. There's another German historian by the name of Wolfhard Pannenberg. He has this statement. He says, the evidence for Jesus's resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. He says, there's two reasons somebody might question it. First one is this. It's very unusual event. And that's true, right? It's a very unusual event to talk about somebody being resurrected. But although unusual... The resurrection of Jesus Christ is very real. And so if we embrace the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even though it's unusual, just like Paul, it changes everything in our life. And so that leads to his second question. If you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. And that's another reason why people want to question it, he says. Because they realize, oh, if this is real, then there's a lot that needs to change. See, there's one thing, there's a vast difference in not having sufficient information or sufficient evidence in regards to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's another thing in not having a willing heart to receive it as truth. And for over 2,000 years, there's been a lot of strong evidence, as Wolfhart says, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So to just not receive it is just an unwillingness to receive truth because we don't want to embrace the change that comes with it. And Paul's trying to get them to understand. He's saying, look, guys, I want you to embrace more than just an idea that's subjective that's going to help you get through today. He's saying, I want you to embrace the truth, a person, objective, someone that's not just going to help you get through the day, someone that's going to help you get through tomorrow. Somebody's going to help you get through the rest of your life. And not only that, somebody's going to help you get through the grave and help you get to eternity. Because as Paul keeps going in this letter, he begins to talk about that we all face death. We all face death on this side of eternity. We all face death in this world because we are born in the nature of Adam. But because of Christ's resurrection, Paul says, we ourselves will have a resurrection one day. He says, Christ was raised from the dead first, then all those who are in Christ will be raised. And he says that we will be raised through a resurrection, get this, with new bodies. Now, some of you are like, yeah. Some of, some of you are like, I like my body. What's wrong with my body? I don't know. 
What are you going to do about it? When, we, when my kids were younger, we were having a conversation. Someone had just passed away. We were talking about this aspect that when we get to heaven, that God gives us new bodies. And without missing a beat, one of my kids piped up and said, well, when, if I get a new body, I hope my body is a tanned body. That was what they want a tan, tan body. Oh, that's great. Jenny laughed and said, me too. See, the last enemy for Jesus to destroy permanently is death. Jesus has defeated death, but he will ultimately destroy death when he returns. And he'll return when all of, in God's perfect timing, in the Father's perfect time, when everything that needs to be accomplished has been accomplished. But until then, we still face death on this side. But one day there will be, even after death, there is a resurrection. And Paul says in his chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, look, I know you've got questions. You've got a lot of questions. I get it. And I, I know that there's a lot of questions in faith in general. And I think the whole reason that Paul begins this whole section proving and talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is even in the face of all of our other questions, and there's questions galore, if every question that you have, just go back to the truth. Jesus defeated death. He died and he raised again. He proved everything he said he was. We may have questions over here that might be hard to answer on this side of eternity, but just remember, his resurrection makes it all real. And that's what Paul is saying. But he goes in and he's like, guys, I know you've got questions. You've got questions about this. Well, well what are these new bodies going to look like? How is this going to happen? What is, what is all this mean? He tries to begin to answer some of those questions through the revelation of the Holy Spirit working through him. And he says that our physical body are like seeds, of what will later, what they will later become. They're like seeds. In other words, they pale in comparison to what's to come. Just like a seed, right? A seed for a huge tree is just a small seed that can grow into a huge tree. It pales in the comparison to what it can become. They're just seeds. And we don't have all the details about all what, what this might look like. But here's the thing. If, Jesus, if God can create, if we believe that God can create Adam from dust of the earth... And then God can create Eve from a rib of Adam. Another funny story. We were in a restaurant one time. And, uh, and one of my kids, we were talking, I don't know what the conversation was. One of our kids started, the youngest started belled out. I know, I know uh, what makes girls different from boys. I know what makes girls, and we were panicked. We were like, oh my God, what are you about to say? So we stopped them. We stopped them immediately. No, 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 no. So finally we got in the car and I'm like, what makes, what makes girls different from boys? And he said, well, the girl has one more rib than the boy. Oh yeah. Okay. That makes, that's good. That makes perfect sense. All right. So we believe, we believe God can create man from dust of the earth. We believe God can create a woman from the rib of a man. God can create new bodies. He's not limited. He's not limited from any of this. So Paul goes on and he says, when we get to verse 42, we see him make this statement. He says the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted into the ground when we die, but they are raised to live forever. Think about that. That means for your new body, there is no deterioration. No more getting old. No more slow decline. Anybody say amen? Amen. Our bodies are eternal. Then watch this. We get into the next verse, verse 43. He says, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. Think about that. 
the brokenness of your body right now, the brokenness of your, your mind, of your emotions, of who, you, of who you are. That means when you get into heaven, there's no more depression. There's no more anxiety. There's no more stress. There's no more shame. There's no more envy. There's no more anger. There's no more self-centeredness. There's no more hate. There's no more sin to tempt us. We are raised with bodies that reflect the sinless beauty and the perfect joy of union with God. They're buried no more brokenness, but they are raised in glory. Then look what he says next. He says they're buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. (laughs) No more aches, no more pains, no more unwanted weight gain. I don't know if we sleep in heaven or not, but if we sleep, we wake up actually feeling well rested. Right? No more, no more weakness. No more weakness. No more, no more glasses. No more contacts. No more walkers. No more wheelchairs. There's a lady by the name of Joni Erickson Todd. She has a ministry that's phenomenal work with those who are in wheelchairs because Joni herself is in a wheelchair. Her ministry is called Joni and Friends. She does a lot of different things. But she's a quadriplegic. It happened early in her life because of a horrible accident that took place. But I was listening to a clip from one of her radio shows recently. And I thought, well, rather than me telling, I'd just play and let you listen in to her clip from her radio show. Listen to this. Well, you know, though, I always say that in a way, I hope I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me. Now, I know that is not biblically correct, but if I were able... I would have my wheelchair up in heaven right next to me when God gives me my brand new glorified body. And I will then turn to Jesus and say, Lord, do you see that wheelchair right there? Well, you were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that wheelchair was a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. So thank you for what you did in my life through that wheelchair. And now, I always say jokingly, you can send that wheelchair to hell if you want. (laughs) That's pretty good. It belongs there. (laughs) Listen, just like we did this morning, we believe in the healing power of prayer. We believe that God heals on this side of eternity. We believe the truth of the scripture and the passage that says by his stripes we are healed. Because we believe that he can do that for us in our life. That's why we pray. We've seen it in the prayer when I was praying. Miss Janet is a walking demonstration of the healing power of Jesus Christ. Many of you in this room are a demonstration of the healing power of Jesus Christ in your life. And God moving and God working. But... Even when God heals us on this side of eternity, until he returns, we will still die. We talked about Lazarus a couple weeks ago at Easter, right? And I made the comment that Lazarus, he he was raised from the dead, literally called out of his tomb in his death clothes. And he got to live again. But then he also got to die again. How fun is that, right? But I'm sure that that life was amazing. And when Jesus heals us, he gives us that opportunity to live amazingly for him. 
But here's the thing. Because we die again, we know that our ultimate and eternal healing is found in our new eternal bodies given to us in the resurrection. That's when our ultimate healing comes. It's in a resurrected, glorified body that the totality and the depth of the scripture that says, I just mentioned, by his stripes we are healed. It's in those bodies that the totality and depth of that passage becomes a reality. In the new bodies that he gives us. Paul goes on and he says, he says they're buried. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they're raised as spiritual bodies. Just as they're natural bodies, there's also spiritual bodies, Paul says. What's he saying? He says we get to experience perfect communion with God the Father. And then he goes on and he says, just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. He's saying you were like Adam in this nature. But in your new body, you will be like Christ. That means that Christ's likeness is not just something we're striving to obtain. It's something that we walk in every day in eternity with the Father. And Paul goes on to let us know. He says, look, your natural bodies cannot inherit eternity. Your natural bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We are built for this earth. We are not built for heaven. So Paul takes our sinful, frail, dying, broken, weak bodies and transforms them into living, healthy, holy bodies fit for his kingdom. And Paul's teaching must have been pretty effective because historians say that gravestones have been found in Corinth and have been found to be inscribed with the word resurgum on them, which means I will rise again. So it was effective for the early church. How effective is it for you? How effective is it for us? The problem in our life is sin. And the result of that curse of sin is a sin nature. And the effects of that sin nature is sickness, evil, and death. But the answer is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that conquered sin, it conquered evil, it conquered death, it conquered the curse. The resurrection undoes everything that sin wants to do in our life. And Paul goes on and he even comforts those in that day and he continues to comfort these words continue to come. He's like, look, look, look. Even if Jesus does come back and you have not died, don't worry. You know, we get excited. We talk about the new bodies that those in, that are dead will rise again. But don't worry. If you are alive when Christ returns, he says, you will be transformed as well. He says, first the dead will rise and then you will be transformed into your new bodies in Christ. And together, he says, we will experience the fullness of Christ's victory. And together, we can then proclaim these words that we have proclaimed around many gravesides from time to time. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because of the resurrection, you have power over sin and death has no sting over you. Our worst pain in this life is light and momentary. 
compared to the call that we have in Christ and compared to the glory that we receive in eternity with him. D.A. Carson said it this way. He says, I'm not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. Because of the resurrection, we have hope. Because of the resurrection, we have life. Because of the resurrection, we have eternal life. Jesus would speak to this as we close up. I want to remind us, or I want us to see these words and remind us of some other words. When Jesus was with his disciples, we see it in John chapter 5. Start at verse 25. He's talking to them and he says, I assure you, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when the dead will hear my voice. See, this is what he's saying is going to happen, what Paul is teaching. The dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted the same life-giving power to his Son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good, listen to his words, will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who has sent me, not my own will. Now, when Jesus said those words, that they will rise to eternal life or they will rise to eternal judgment, it should should have reminded them of a vision. A vision that we talked about at the end of last year. A vision that came from a guy by the name of Daniel. And this vision was heralded from God for centuries before Jesus came. And this was Daniel's vision. He said at that time, Daniel chapter 12 verse 1, at that time Michael the archangel who stands guard over your nation, talking about the nation of Israel, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any nations first came into existence. But... He says, at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. And listen to what the vision says. Many of those whose bodies lie in dead and buried will rise up. It's a truth that God has been expressing for a long time. He says, some to eternal life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. So when Jesus is sitting there teaching his disciples, he is reiterating the words of the vision that Daniel was given about what would happen one day. And then many, many years later, John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And he has his own vision from Jesus expressing what's going to happen and what's going to take place one day. We see John write these words and he says, I saw a great white throne in Revelation 20 verse 11. And the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. This is what Daniel was referencing in his vision many, many years before this. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead. The death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. And death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. That's his ultimate permanent victory over death. 
And this lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is that eternal judgment that Jesus confirmed of Daniel's vision. And now John is saying again. Then we go into chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth disappeared. The sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's what? Home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone from heaven at or gone forever at our homecoming. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. Ultimately, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. Is this your homecoming? For those who are in Christ, this world, this world is as close to hell as you'll ever get. Now listen to me. For those who are not in Christ, who do not want to receive the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be real, who do not want to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and follow him as Lord of your life. This life in this world is as close to heaven as you will ever get. Which resurrection do you long to embrace? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your past can be forgiven. Your present can be purposeful and powerful. Your future can be secure in Him. Stand with me this morning. As we close and we go into a time of worship, here's my plea for you. If you are out of relationship with Jesus Christ, you haven't made him your savior, your Lord. Please today, embrace the truth of a resurrected Jesus Christ. Understand that it may change how you're living, but that change is better than any change you can ever embrace. Accept him. Just like we sang in this song, this, this the uh, homecoming, the beginning of this song is a salvation confession. <laughs> I've taken the breath of God and, and stole it and used it in my own way. 
the breath of life that Jesus has given us. We've all done this. We've stolen it at some point in our life and we lived our life the way we wanted to live it. But giving our life to Christ changes that. So I beg you, please, give your life to Christ. Accept Him. Believe in Him. Listen to the words of Paul. His resurrection is real and it changed everything. As we worship, as we sing, make the make the this this prayer your prayer and confess your heart to God. But don't walk out of here without telling somebody because you need a family to journey with you. If you're in Christ today and there's things in this life that you're struggling, you're experiencing weakness, you're experiencing you're experiencing brokenness. You're experiencing all those things that Paul talked about. We're going to be buried in, but we're going to be raised in a new way. Today, as you worship, let the Holy Spirit just flood your soul and comfort you with the comfort of God today to know that you have an eternity in Him that is greater than anything in this life. And He can empower you for what you face in this life. Amen. This this is our homecoming. Is it yours? I pray it is. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccanvin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.